And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Go, man. Tear it off, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, we're going to be all over the place this week. As I speak right now, Matt Barrows is in Colorado Springs. 49ers are going to practice up there in some altitude. For three days, and then they're going to fly down to Mexico City, moving from the mountain time zone to the central time zone. And I will meet the team in Mexico City to cover that game. Really excited for all that that will entail. But Matt, the 49ers decided to do this the way of trying to combat problems with thin air, problems with altitude, because Mexico City is at 7,500 feet. The field at Air Force Academy, well, the, where they'll be practicing over where you are in Colorado Springs, is at about 6,600 feet. I don't know how the science works exactly, but I do know in general that uh, you want some more red blood cells because the oxygen is a little bit thinner the higher that you get. And the 49ers are banking on a few days of acclimatization in Colorado, helping them play better at the very high altitude of Mexico City against the Cardinals on Monday night. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've been doing a little bit of research on it, and there are two schools of thoughts. One is that you don't really take the, you know, you 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 just kind of rip the Band-Aid off and you arrive in Mexico City um, a little bit before the game, and you don't really give your body – a chance to get um, affected by the altitude, uh, and then you make a quick exit. The other is that you arrive two weeks early, and it, it takes that long to get uh, acclimatized to the altitude. The, the 49ers are doing something in the middle. Um, this is something some other teams have done in the past. They consulted with those teams, um, and uh, they feel comfortable with it. But it will be interesting. I mean, because I think the Cardinals are doing the opposite. They're they're just going to arrive just before the game. Uh, I think that's what the 49ers did back in 2005. I covered that game. I don't remember there being any altitude issues. Um, they they got blown out by the Cardinals. They were still really bad then. It was Alex Smith's first uh, extended play. He didn't start that game, but he came in fairly early. Uh, and was terrible, um, but uh, that was the beginning of the Alex Smith era uh, in all practicality. But um, I don't think that they were affected by it. Um, I don't know if they were affected by the game earlier this year in Denver, but they've, they've taken a very uh, kind of um, uh, methodical, um, in their eyes, scientific approach, and we'll have to see whether it works out on, on Monday. 103,000 people in Estadio Azteca back then in 2005 at that game that you're talking about. Stadium opened in time for the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. Iconic place in, in the country there. It's, it is, it's huge, just like the city in which it's in. Mexico City, the metro area, 22 million people. I just love reading about Mexico City. I can't wait to 
check it out. I've heard it has every single problem that a you would expect a really big city like that to have smog, a lot of traffic, but also every benefit that you would expect a massive city like that to have excellent food, you know, just a ton of diversity between the neighborhoods. Uh, supposedly the scenery is awesome. They're talking about Mexico city that back in, you know, it, in the, uh, I think the 1800s is, is when it was considered like one of the jewels of the world. So, and supposedly a lot of that architecture is still there. And now it's still one of the largest cities in the world. And that's where the 49ers are going to be playing against the Cardinals on Monday night. So speaking of the matchup, Matt, it's an NFC West matchup. It's technically a road game for the 49ers. But according to Vivid Seats, that's a ticket resale service online. They're able to take a look at zip codes and figure out fan behavior. And I guess they have an algorithm to, to determine where the ticket purchases are coming from. Vivid Seats has said that it's going to be 82% 49ers fans in Estadio Azteca, which no longer seats 103,000, seats about 88,000 now. But still, 82% of those 88,000 seats are expected to go to 49ers fans in this football game, which to me is a big, big deal because if this Mexico game weren't on the schedule, this game would be in Arizona. And Arizona, even though a lot of 49ers fans there in road games in Glendale, it's it's usually more Cardinals fans than 49ers fans. So the the 49ers have a free home game here. 82%, if it's anything close to that, is going to give them a nice noise advantage. Yeah, and anything to avoid uh, being in Glendale, which is where the 49ers got stuck uh, but at the end of the uh, the COVID season in, in 2020. So uh, it'll be a, a nice reprieve not having to go to Glendale this year, uh, at least in the regular season. But yeah, I mean, uh, the 49ers are a- expecting it to be teeming with 49ers fans. Um, they told me that, uh, you know, the, the, the two most popular teams in Mexico, and, and, and we should start out by saying th- this is the NFL's figure. So um, I, I guess you have to take it with a grain of salt. I don't know how exactly they're measuring it, but they say that there are 46 million NFL fans in Mexico. Um, and, and to put that in perspective, there are 39 million people in the state of California. So it's a huge number of, uh, of followers. Uh, it's the second most uh, popular sport, obviously, behind football, uh, soccer there. Uh, but a lot of NFL fans, um, the, the time zone allows uh, Mexicans to, to follow the game at the same time Americans do, which is a, a problem in, in Europe and other places that they're trying to grow the sport. Uh, but the two most popular teams are the, the Steelers and the Cowboys, and that's because uh, games started being broadcast in the 1970s, which is when those two teams were at the, at the peak. And then very quickly in the 1980s, the, the 49ers rose up, uh, and they're number three. And, uh, there are a lot of, uh, fans there. And, and in fact, there are a lot of fans in Mexico, in Mexico City, that make a, a trek once a year, um, to Levi Stadium to see a game or, or, or they'll see their team somewhere else. But, um, there's a lot of, uh, kind of, uh, crossing the border to go see the 49ers. So uh, it, it's not, um, I mean, uh, we, we tend to think of other countries not really understanding, uh, American football. That's not the case in Mexico. They understand it very well. They play it, uh, play it in the high schools, play it in youth. Um, and certainly soccer is much, is much more popular, but 
Um, that that's why uh, th- those tickets, that stadium, sold out so quickly. And you know what? I learned that about Mexico and their love for football while we were just working on an article together on Alfredo Gutierrez and about how big the 49ers are in Mexico. Alfredo Gutierrez played college football in Mexico, in Monterey, city up north, about an hour and a half flight from Mexico City, I think 600 miles north of Mexico City. But Alfredo's from Tijuana. He's the 49ers International Pathway Program player. So they have a roster exemption for him. He doesn't count a roster spot, but he could uh, be in that position with the 49ers for up to three seasons. This is his second year with the team. They absolutely love him in the locker room. He's friends with everybody. He's the great affable personality. And it's been cool to get to know him here over the past couple of years. And it's going to be really cool for him to be back in the homeland in Mexico. He, uh, Tijuana is a three and a half hour flight from Mexico City. It's a big country. But he's been to Mexico City before. He played some college ball there, actually, for Monterey against the team from Mexico City. But he's never played in Estadio Azteca because it's normally a, a soccer stadium. The NFL will come there every few years, but for you know all intents and purposes on the Mexican circuit, it's a soccer stadium. Anyway, uh, Alfredo Gutierrez cannot play in this game, Matt, because he's an international pathway player and has a roster exemption. That means he can't be activated from the practice squad this year, but he'll certainly be there, and it's uh, kind of a cool full circle moment for him, right? I mean, he grew up in Mexico, was idolizing a, a lot of American football players, a couple guys and the Chargers because he's from Tijuana, Antonio Gates, LaDainian Tomlinson. And then he found his way through the International Pathway Program onto an NFL roster. Now gets to live a dream on an NFL practice squad, gets to work with Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, guys like that every day. And now he gets to go back and uh, soak it all in, in in his home country of Mexico. Yeah, and you're right. He's very well liked uh, on the team. Um, you know, sort of one of these guys who's willing to do uh, a little bit of everything. Sometimes we we see him even taking snaps when the defensive line is practicing pass rush. They don't have the quarterbacks back there, so they need a body. And um, you know, he's the first guy to volunteer, and I think that's why they they like him so much. Um, uh, I, I hope that he gets to be in uniform for the game because I think a lot of uh, Mexican fans will will recognize him. Number 77, I believe, and it would be nice just to have him kind of walk out on the field and, and, you know, give a wave, give a nod. I'm sure he's got uh, loved ones in the stands. So, um, yeah, so uh, everybody should look out for our story. I think it's dropping on Wednesday or, or dropping tomorrow, Thursday. Um, so uh, that's something to, uh, to, to look for in your 49ers queue on the athletic. You know what? They better let him be out there in uniform. I could see, in a twisted way, I could see the NFL fining him and the 49ers for him (laughs) being out there in uniform, even though that would be the exact thing they're trying to do with the International Pathway Program, right? They're trying to grow the game internationally. That would obviously be something that could visually help the cause, but then they fine him because he's not supposed to be in uniform. But, I mean, if if cooler heads here prevail, I'm not saying they're going to do that. I'm just saying we've seen... We've seen similar uniform kind of policies before from the from the league in the past, but uh, if cooler heads do prevail in this situation, I think that's a great idea. That, that'd be really neat. Imagine that eighty eight thousand people, a lot of a lot of Mexicans in that stadium. They'd go crazy. I mean, he is not hard to spot. Alfredo Gutierrez is six foot nine. Yeah, six foot nine, three hundred and thirty two pounds. Uh, they should allow him to go out for the coin toss. I think that would be. 
a really nice, uh, as you said, sort of uh, full circle moment, and a nice gesture, a nice nod to all of the uh, NFL's fans south of the border. So let's talk a little bit more about the game because the Arizona Cardinals, the 49ers opponent, have not been playing very good football. Now, they did uh, do better against the Rams, but that was a backup QB fest against the Rams. There was no Kyler Murray. There was no Matthew Stafford. Speaking of that, Colt McCoy, Arizona's backup quarterback, who also got dinged up in that game against the Rams. Their third stringer is Trace McSorley. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think that Cliff Kingsbury, as of right now, and he'll probably be saying this to the rest of the week, is saying that both Kyler Murray with the hamstring and Colt McCoy with the knee are day-to-day. But Colt McCoy, the last time the 49ers and Cardinals played, it was Colt McCoy starting, and the Cardinals spanked the 49ers. And the 49ers' defense was mainly at fault in that game. They couldn't stop the Colt McCoy-led offense, the fighting Colt McCoys, as I like to say, last year. Now, a lot of that, Matt, was the the run game for Arizona just steamrolled the 49ers. That was the Eno Benjamin runs over Dre Kirkpatrick game. Kirkpatrick obviously no longer with the 49ers. And Eno Benjamin actually is no longer with the Cardinals. They just released him this week. So the, the teams look different than last year. And I will say for the Cardinals so far this year, they are ranked near the bottom of the league in offensive efficiency. They gave a, a lot of money to Kyler Murray for this not to happen. It has. They're struggling. There's some infighting going on. I mean, you've, I'm sure people have seen it on Hard Knocks. Uh, it's it's not a very good vibe in Arizona. And on the defensive side of the ball, Buda Baker, their leader, the defensive back, he's been imploring that team to piece it together. And so far against a healthy opponent, they haven't done that yet. So the 49ers have a, a wounded animal, I think, in front of them in Arizona, and they need to take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I watched that uh, Cardinals-Rams game, and the, and the Rams weren't very good. And, and that's... Uh... The big reason why the, the the Cardinals won it, but the Cardinals came out, um, you know, doing the thing uh, that uh, a lot of opponents do against the 49ers, which is uh, McCoy was taking you know two or three steps back and then firing the ball. So quick passes, lots of screens. They have lots of weapons. It's a talented team. Um, everybody knows DeAndre Hopkins. They've got AJ Green, who had a really uh, marvelous touchdown um in the in the back corner of the end zone in that Rams game. They've got uh Rondale Moore, uh, who uh scored a touchdown uh I think as a rookie against the 49ers. Very quick, very fast guy, uh, jitterbug guy, and um it he really kind of lends himself to that quick passing game. So I mean that's how you you neutralize Nick Bosa. Um I was saying the other day on our podcast, I mean I, I was counting up the legitimate sack opportunities, um, hit the quarterback opportunities that Bosa had. It's not very many, um, which makes you know, the, the, the sack to- total all the more impressive. Um, but, uh, you know, you take away run plays, you take away these quick passes, you take away all the times that uh, these teams double team him, and um, there's, there's not a lot of opportunities. So I'm sure that's the Cardinals game plan. Um, I think that Zach Ertz, their tight end, got hurt in that game. Uh, so they're going to go with a, a backup uh, tight end for the rest of the year. That's in the 49ers' favor. Um, and uh, we'll have to see how this injury plays out at quarterback. I mean, if, if uh, Murray is dealing with a hamstring strain, um, you know, that's, that's obviously his forte, scrambling, moving with his legs. 
um, you know, getting out of trouble. So if that's compromised at all, then all of a sudden he goes from being a, 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 a quarterback with special gifts to, to one who's a little bit more ordinary, still has the great arm, uh, but all of a sudden he's a short guy that can't move. So, um, yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting to see which, uh, which quarterback they go with. And you're right, uh, Cliff Kingsbury will keep everybody guessing until uh, the, the kickoff on Monday. I have some trivia for you, Matt. There what will be a player who plays in this game who also played in Estadio Azteca the last time the 49ers were there in 2005. Who is it? Andy Lee. Yep, we got it. Bingo. Somebody ring the bell. That's awesome. Andy <laughs> Lee, 40 years old, is the punter for the Arizona Cardinals. I was just looking at their depth chart right now, and I saw that, and I'm like, ooh, when, when was Andy Lee drafted? And he was drafted in the sixth round of 2004 by the 49ers. So he was in his second year when they were there back in 2005. Andy Lee has seen a lot. Talk about a football life, man. From 04 to 2022, the league has changed so much. I, I think everything pales in comparison to Brady at this point, right? Because Brady's just been around even longer than that. But imagine if there were no Tom Brady. People would probably be talking about Andy Lee as the Iron Man in the NFL. That's a long career. Well, how many 40-year-olds are there in the NFL? I mean, that's that's impressive. And I know he's a punter. He's not taking a big beating, but still. Yeah. Cool stuff. So that's that's kind of kind of link it together. I'll have to put that into my 10 observations piece later this week. That th- those are the kind of nuggets that I live for. I <laughs> look for those. But let's talk 49ers offense against the Cardinals defense because last year we had two interesting samples, right? In week 4 or 5, I forgot which it was. It was Trey Lance's, I think it was week five. Yeah, it was week five. It was Trey Lance's first career start against Arizona. 49ers moved the ball up and down the field, but they didn't finish drives, which is really funny because it's an issue that we're talking about right now with the 49ers offense. It's not as bad as it was in that game in week five last year where they, they really, really struggled to find the end zone, but um, similar theme, right? And then very, very similar stuff happened again when the 49ers met the Cardinals in Koi game. But the other side of the football had Jimmy Garoppolo back. 49ers moved the ball just fine. I mean, I think Garoppolo threw for well over 300 yards. It was a good game for, for, for him. But the problem is that his targets were fumbling the football. I still remember a really ugly George Kittle fumble. And there was another turnover, I think another fumble later in the game. And despite all the yardage, the 49ers only scored 17 points. And they lost 31 to 17. So the bigger problem was their defense in that second game, but the offense not finishing the deal was was an issue. And this game right here, that all of that's lining up to be a key again, Matt, because Arizona's defense has struggled this year. They haven't been great. They get pressure from Zach Allen. They have JJ Watt on this team, and Zach Allen's having a nice year on that defensive line. We know who Buda Baker is. We know who Isaiah Simmons is. Uh, but yardage can be had against these guys. Teams have had yardage against these guys. And to me, the 49ers will rack up theirs against Arizona as well. It's lining up to be the key that they failed at last year, and that is punching through into the end zone. And it just so happens that's the key that the 49ers are paying extra close attention to this season as we speak. 
Yeah, it was very hard to to gauge uh, how good the run defense was against the Rams because the Rams' rushing offense is so bad. But I got to think that that's what the the 49ers are are banking on. Is what they always bank on in these games. And um, you know, uh, another game to kind of experiment with that Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Elijah Mitchell backfield, that, that three-headed monster. All those guys are kind of rotating through there. But yeah, I think that's what Kyle Shanahan wants to do is uh, just get on a roll, get the momentum, start running downhill, especially in the second half, and and really start to not just um, sort of uh, wear down on these teams, but wear down on them with, with explosive plays. I mean, I think that's what he's envisioning with Mitchell and McCaffrey, not just three yards in a cloud of dust, but 10 yards, and then you bring Debo Samuel in and he gets 75 yards, those types of, of plays. So, um, you know, the, the, you're right. I mean, um, uh, Zach Allen jumped out to me. He's he's one of these big um, defensive ends, um, you know, big enough to play defensive tackle. Uh, he was good coming out of Boston College. I thought the 49ers might take a look at him. Um, I'm not sure if they did or not, but he's been a, a nice um, piece for them and a, and a nice sort of um, you know, partner for, for JJ Watt at times. Those two guys, um, big, long, and strong is how I would, uh, refer to them. And if, uh, Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford can continue their no sack streak, I think that'll be uh, a really nice achievement against somebody who's as, uh, um, uh, adept, um, uh, who's as good as JJ Watt is. All right. So let's look at the other side of the football with the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, Colt McCoy, going against the 49ers. I know we talked about the weapons that the Cardinals have. The offensive line, to me, not as good as it has been in years prior. There have been a couple changes up there, and there are also a couple of injuries on the left side. DJ Humphreys, their big money left tackle, is probably going to be questionable in this game. We'll see what his status is come uh, Monday night. That's Obviously, something we always watch whenever the 49ers' powerful defensive line, when they're healthy, matches up against another O-line. They typically can take advantage of injury situations at the tackle positions. They did down the stretch of the game against the Chargers last week. The Chargers were starting to back up tackles. So you take a look at that offensive line. They got Billy Price, who they picked up to be at that center position. Kelvin Beecham is the right tackle. And then Humphreys and Max Garcia, left tackle and left guard, respectively. Both of those guys working through some injury stuff this week. So, you know, to me, if we see McCoy running that quick release game that you were talking about, Matt, um, it comes down to the 49ers playing good, tight, disciplined coverage to really earn the right to rush the passer, right? We talk about stopping the run to earn the right to rush the passer. Well, you also have to stop the short game. You have to stop the screen passes, stop that kind of stuff. And we talk about the weapons that Arizona has. I still remember in 2019, it was week eight, I want to say, Thursday night football on Halloween. That was the Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Andrews game. But that was the game in which the 49ers defense was first in that dominant year of great pass rushing, that was the game in which they were first exposed a little bit in terms of those short screen passes by Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. So you, you know that Arizona, if they are a little bit compromised up front, they're going to try to turn to that, and the 49ers are going to have to be ready to fly around the football at altitude, mind you, and, and, and make those stops in space. 
Yeah, and it's something that they've been able to do, but it's sort of in spurts. Remember, the, the Rams came out and uh, really gouged them in that area, and then obviously the, the 49ers did a big turnaround in the second half. Same thing happened in the, in the, in the Chargers game. The Chargers were able to kind of throw at will, um, and then they were shut out in the second half. And then Fred Warner said afterwards is that we just decided to, to simplify things. We were doing too much in the first half. We just basically ran the, the same deep defensive play uh, over and over again in the second half, and he wouldn't reveal what it was. But today, Brandon Staley, the Chargers head co- coach, was asked that question um, uh, by Daniel Popper, our, our Chargers writer for The Athletic. And he said it was because the, the 49ers were trying to match up man-to-man in the first half. Uh, and that wasn't working for them. Um, you remember the uh, the nice uh, pass play where Charvarius Ward was in coverage. I forget how many yards they got, but they were able to rub Ward off. And uh, Justin Herbert found that very quickly. So they started playing basically zone um, the whole second half. So I, I wonder whether the 49ers just kind of <laughs> – Try to skip their uh, their usual one half malaise and just kind of go straight to what was working for them against the Chargers and, and sort of uh, clamp down on those uh, those uh, those quick passes, the passes to the sideline, things like that right away. Um, I don't know what the uh, what the what the flip side of that, what the downside of that of doing that is. Um, I guess you don't want to be too vanilla and 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 show everything, but. Uh, boy, that, that seemed to be working for them on Sunday night. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Kyler Murray can run. Uh, well, we'll see if Kyler Murray plays and how healthy he'll be. First of all, hamstring injury could compromise him a bit. But if he's anything close to full strength, full speed, uh, we have to remember he's more elusive than anybody in this league. I know that Justin Herbert can move, but Justin Herbert's strongest suit is not his movement ability. Kyler Murray, on the other hand, boy, that guy is slippery. And we talk about Fred Warner blitzes and the speed of the 49ers defense and being able to shut down some of these corner uh, quarterbacks with some of these sneak attacks that we've seen over the past couple of weeks. It's going to be a little bit harder if Kyler Murray bolts out of that pocket. So the 49ers are going to have to be really, really disciplined on that end. And, you know, against a team like Arizona, they obviously like the space to field, stretch it out. If they do run it, sometimes they're going to be running in space and your DBs are going to have to make some tackles because they will be able to space your bigger guys out. I think that it's a big luxury to have a player like Charvarius Ward on the team. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Charvarius Ward and the skill set that, that people don't talk about as much. His ability to defend the run, Matt, is awesome. I mean, he ranks as the highest graded run defender in any position in football right now by PFF and 92 grade in run defense. He hasn't missed a single tackle all year. And I still remember last year, Arizona spaced out the 49ers and there was Eno Benjamin matched up against Drake Kirkpatrick in space and it didn't end up well for the 49ers. This year, there is not going to be Drake Kirkpatrick in red and gold or white and gold or whatever they wear on Monday. It's going to be a guy like Charvarius Ward. That's a massive, massive upgrade in a game like this because in the 49ers scheme, doesn't matter who you're playing, the corners have to tackle. But in a game like this, the corners are really going to have to tackle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's how you uh, you get a guy like Rondale Moore on the ground. And, and, and Kyler Murray, too, if he plays. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, Charvarius Ward, to me, is looking a lot like uh, Richard Sherman looked in, in 2019. Sherman was great in coverage. He was also great as a tackler, which had been a, a bit of a problem at, at cornerback. Akello Witherspoon was not a great tackler um, uh, in, in, in previous seasons, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, Ward is a good tackler, and that's why they like D'Amador Lenore as well. Uh, when he was at Oregon, he was a very gritty player, not, not afraid at all to kind of throw his, his shoulder in there and, and get in on tackles. And that's why, uh, he's been a nice fit at times at nickel cornerback. You have to be a good, uh, tackler at, at nickel. It's basically a, a linebacker spot. You're, a, you're a mini linebacker, uh, at that spot. So, um, I don't know how much he's been tested, uh, the Lenore, but he has that DNA in him. He's not, a shy guy when it comes to that. So uh, that's got to help. Um, Talano Hufanga, I think, is looking more like Talano Hufanga, uh, the guy that we saw the first uh, four or five weeks of the season. I thought that he didn't look as good in, in those last uh, few games before the bye. thought he was a little bit slower. And, and I think uh, Kyle Shanahan corroborated that. Uh, he, he noted that Hufanga was missing some practices with injuries. And, you know, that's that's the Shanahan 
mantra. Like if if you don't practice, you're not going to look good in the game, and and that's especially true if you're a young player. And so um, Hufang is back to full health. What what may be the the issue, David, is is the D line. Last time the 49ers played, they were missing three fourths, three quarters of their starting defensive line. So it could be up to uh, Charles Amenehu again to kind of keep the edge. And I think he's had very kind of mixed results at that. He's he's a, a revelation. I think he's actually better as an interior rusher than an outside rusher. Uh, but he has slipped inside a, a few times and uh, kind of left that edge exposed. And if you do that against Kyler Murray, he's going to sniff that out real fast. He, he's doing a lot of the same stuff that Arden Key did last year, move-wise, hands-wise, everything, you know, when he's rushing from the inside, Charles Amenehu. And, you know, similar profile to, to Arden Key in that Charles, he still has a lot of strength that he can gain. And that's what's really exciting about him as a player is that he came in so raw. I mean, I, we talked about it multiple times. Houston did not really begin to unearth his potential. He's got the natural leverage, which leads to some natural strength. We saw that against Tyron Smith when he backed them up uh, against the Cowboys in the playoffs last year. But there's still so much left in the tank, so much unrealized potential as far as just, you know, NFL weight program getting in there, getting stronger for Charles Amenahu that, uh, you know, maybe another team will enjoy that because the 49ers, if he has a good back half to the season, might be hard to keep him moving forward. Anyway, let me let me uh, ask you a question because I got this in my um, in my mailbag. I I didn't answer it because I didn't know the answer. But um, a couple of people asked, you know, what is Charles Amenahue going to fetch in free agency this year? Um, Do you think it will be similar to what what Arden Key got from the Jaguars. I think he gets more because he, uh, Charles Amenahu has had good pressure rates throughout his entire career. Even with Houston, he had a really good pressure rate. He just wasn't finishing him for sacks. And even, even now he has so many close calls. I think so many more than Arden Key. Um, And especially nowadays, the analytics have taken over these contract negotiations and pressures are much better predictors of future sacks than, sacks are right because uh and, and you figure with a guy on an upward trajectory like charles amenahu is and with all the pressures that he is getting right now with all the pressure that he's gotten then he started to turn some of them into sacks so that indeed has uh proven to to, to be true uh i think that you, you just salivate and again he's got that unrealized potential he still has more man strength to be able to put on um, and, and right now he's winning with a lot of athleticism on the inside. So this could be a complete rusher as he develops further into his career. So I think he could fetch quite a bit of money. It's going to be another one of those Chris Kacarek gets a guy paid situations if he stays yeah, healthy. Right. You know, right. and that's the well, goal. I mean, I think the undercurrent of people's questions are: is will the 49ers be able to resign him? And I, I don't. I think the answer is no. But the um, the, the silver lining is that they'll get a, a nice comp pick in 2024. Um, and, yeah. and I think that's part of the, the 49ers formula. I mean, to kind of bring in younger guys like, uh, like the Arden key. Remember they, they put in a, a, a waiver claim for uh, Tillery, the guy who was very um, suddenly cut by the chargers last week. And I, I thought that maybe they were thinking the same thing. Maybe Tillery with all of his kind of, um, explosive traits 
uh, does well under Chris Kacarek, and then you know they let him go in free agency, and they get that that comp pick. Um, that that seems to be part of their uh, their formula going forward to to bring in these guys who haven't quite made it with other teams, have them um, really start to excel under Kacarek, and then cash in comp pick wise down the line. Yeah, and that's that's. You have to find ways to be creative to beat the salary cap to stay a competitor for a longer period of time. There's a reason why most teams cannot do that. Most teams kind of, you know, are shooting stars. They fizzle out there sooner rather than later under the current rules of the league, which are set up to maximize parity. But the teams have stayed good for a long time, most notably the New England Patriots, who had that two-decade run. One of the big formulas for them was the comp pick formula. They, they, they rode that comp pick wave in a way that the 49ers want to ride it. Now, the 49ers, they have a big core of star players that's probably going to grow when they re-sign Nick Bosa, and there's probably going to be other contractual business out there. The cap has been growing. That allows the 49ers to do that. But still, the Rams are a cautionary tale. That's that's the tale of a team that overextended itself. Right now, they did win the Super Bowl last year, so I, I think a lot of Rams people will tell you, you know, it was worth it. But they're going through a lot leaner time right now. They had to. They lost premier talent on both lines of scrimmage that they couldn't pay this past off season. And beyond that, you can tell that team is just a way weaker at the margins than a team like the 49ers and they you know they, they haven't played the comp pick game nearly as well they traded away all their draft picks and it's the margins that i think really determine the depth and quality of a football team and those are the positions that you do try to stack up with shrewd maneuvering of middle round draft picks and comp picks right matt so um, that that's a game the 49ers, that's part of their larger formula to say, build a winner and stay sustainable moving forward. Yeah, and the other part is is what the Rams have done is, is to really um, make sure that you hit on those middle-round draft picks. I mean, the Rams gave away all of their high-round picks in, in recent years, uh, but they've had some, some nice hits in, in the middle rounds as well. Um, sort of role players, guys that uh, they 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 can envision a role for. Not not so much uh, talent guys that you just kind of bring in and you see what happens, but very specific things. So I wonder whether um, you know the Forty Niners will kind of uh, slightly adjust their sights in, in how they you know go after fourth and fifth rounders and and, and third rounders and things like that. I think they've got I want to say five picks. Uh, between the third and the and the fifth round, or did they expect to have five when all the comp picks are in? Um, and that's not bad, especially for a team that always hits it out of the park with their with their fifth rounders. Um, Talano Hufanga, a guy we just talked about, the fifth rounder. George Kittle, uh, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Sam Womack. Uh, so uh, the the fifth round has been the money round in San Francisco since 2017. Yeah. It, it has. And, you know, you said it's remarkable. Well, they only have two of their original draft picks left, yet they still have nine total right now, right? Yeah. Through, through this, this creative formula. We talk about the Menahu trade. Uh, that was a, a trade where they obviously gave up a pick, but it only cost them a sixth rounder for a player that's obviously been worth that and more to them here over the past two seasons. So it's, you know, you have to make these shrewd, 
microtransactions, and you could only call them microtransactions at the time because when you look back in, you know, you take a look in the rearview mirror, once the player that you've acquired has actually produced and done some good stuff, and, well, Jordan Willis, the other defensive end of the 49ers have picked up recently at, near the trade deadline. I mean, he he was a hero with the block against Green Bay in the playoffs, and this past week comes off of IR and delivers a sack, a couple quarterback hits, including one on fourth and two. That was a guy that they acquired for a pick swap in 2020. So they have a factory here where they're picking guys up on the cheap, unearthing value from them on the field by developing them. And then if they do walk, then it's essentially like selling them for a profit, right? And that's that's the way that a sustainable franchise has to work. You have to create value in your building and you do that with good coaching and a good culture. Yeah, uh, but Willis was a revelation for me. I mean, I didn't think that he was going to be that good after having missed, what was it, uh, seven weeks? Um, yeah, knee, uh, knee operation. Weeks, um, uh, with that knee injury, I thought there would be a, a warm-up period, a ramp-up period for him. Um, he was fantastic. So I w- wonder if, if Epicom doesn't play in this game. And we'll have to see. The, the first practice of the week, this week, is on Thursday. Um, and, uh, you know, they just had a, a plane trip to get out here on Tuesday. I don't know, you know, swelling, this, that, and the other whether that's going to mean that fewer guys practice in that uh, in that Thursday session. But we should get a read on that defensive line tomorrow. Um, it d- didn't sound to me as if J- Javon Kinlaw was going to play because swelling has been the issue for him in that knee. And uh, they're very leery of these long plane flights and what that does to swelling and the altitude. And they not only have the flight to Colorado, they got a flight to... Mexico City, and they got a flight back. So it sounds like he's going to be on hold for another week. Um, Eric Armstead, that's uh, that just it, it always seems murky. Um, we'll have to wait till we actually see him on the field. And um, I don't know how serious that Ebucom quad injury is. Serious enough to keep him out of the Chargers game for sure. Uh, that means that the, I think the 49ers were very lucky to have Jordan Willis come back and. Um, like I said, if there's no Ebucom in this game, I bet Willis's snap percentage goes up because he showed against the Chargers that that's, that's exactly the explosiveness that they want opposite Nick Bosa. You know, for Eric Armstead and maybe even for Javon Kinlaw, I'm predicting a week 13 return against the Dolphins. I don't think the 49ers have any compelling reason to push something before then. Because they're favored by eight and a half points in both of the next two weeks. If if these are games they absolutely need to be able to win without remotely pushing anybody back early from from injury, you could give these guys extra time. Now, it, it gets really hard in week 13. That's the Dolphins. Mike McDaniel, Tua, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Trent Sherfield. All those guys coming in, right? That's going to be it's going to be crazy. The Dolphins are playing really good football. It's a high-powered passing offense and a good rush offense for the Dolphins. But the next two weeks against the Cardinals and then the Saints at home, uh, the 49ers have more firepower than both of those teams when you you know look at this cumulatively on both sides of the ball. And they should be able to win these games without players like Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw. But 
once you start talking about the the elite competition and you're going to have the Dolphins coming in, then, you know, it does seem like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are waking up and then the Seattle Seahawks are going to be on December 15th. And that's obviously going to be a high stakes NFC West game. And the Seahawks have, have a top 10 offense this year. They might not have had one in week two when they played the 49ers, but it's developed into one since then. Those are the games, Matt, where I think the 49ers are going to want a fully stocked defensive line. They want it now, but they might need it once those games roll around. So the way that I look at the schedule is they need to win these next two because they're going to be heavily favored in these next two. And then the fun really starts. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, you know, once they get back to California, it's a spate of, of home games. So that's that's another reason um, that uh, maybe some of these injured guys that you're a little bit worried about right now start playing more at that point because uh, no air travel, uh, four straight games on your your beautiful Levi's carpet <laughs> uh, sort of uh, reduces the swelling. Uh, one comment about the, the Dolphins I was watching them early in the season. I, I, I caught a couple of games early on. They were winning games. Um, it was like uh, Don Coriel era football. It was just deep bombs to Tyreek Hill, and um, they, they were winning with their passing game. And I said to myself, boy, once these guys figure out the running game, which is hard to figure out, and the 49ers are, are dealing with that this year with their inexperienced uh, middle of their line, how to run that zone blocking. But I said to myself, once they figure out how to do that and they get the right running backs in there, this, that, and the other, it's going to be a really potent offense. And I think we're starting to see that. I mean, Jeff Wilson has just been uh, uh, phenomenal since he got there. Uh, touchdowns, 100-yard efforts, you name it. He's He's been to uh, Miami, what Christian McCaffrey has been to San Francisco so far. Um, so that is <laughs> funny going how to that works. A, a terrific, terrific uh, matchup. I was told um, a lot of people were asking about that game being flexed, um, and I was told that uh, as of now, the 49ers are not expecting it to be flexed. The, the Cowboys are yeah. the Sunday night team, and uh, it's very hard to dislodge the cow- Cowboys, even if they are playing a, a lousy team like the Colts. Hey Jeff, Saturday though that it's they might be lousy, but that's compelling. That's probably compelling, even more reason right? that it's going to stay in there. Yeah, and but yeah, if it, the Cowboys against anybody, they're the Cowboys are going to stay in in the prime time slot unless it's a complete disaster of a season. And so far, it's not for the Cowboys. Um, but yeah, the Forty ers they have eight games to play now. We've officially passed the halfway point of the season. And it's time, I mean, it always was time to start stacking wins, but now it's really time for them to start stacking wins if they want to make sure that they're guaranteed a spot in the playoffs. And uh, the path to seven and four to me is really clean. They can obviously lose one of the next two or both of the next two. It's the NFL, I get it. But again, they're favored by eight and a half and they're favored by eight and a half for a reason here in these next two games coming up. Uh, past seven and four, it is a total free for all when I look at that schedule. So buckle up for that and enjoy every week as it lasts because Miami, those guys, like you said, they're bombing it out, they're airing it out, they and they could run. It's going to strain defenses, and so much is probably going to happen between now and week 13 as far as injuries go on the field, right? For both teams, that it's hard to handicap it right now. And that's why it's important to just take the step that's in front of you and see what you can do. Speaking of that, Matt, who do you think is going to win this game on Monday? You probably know how I feel based on how I've been talking about the point spread. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I agree with you with the outcome, but I, I always think that the, the Cardinals always have a, a little special something in store for the 49ers. They just always seem to play them tough. Um, and if it is Colt McCoy, I mean, uh, uh, I think we learned last year not to take him too lightly. He can he can do damage. So um, it, they just they just seem to match up well. That quickness seems to match up well against the 49ers. So uh, I like the 49ers in this game. Um, I think it'll be a really interesting test of their altitude theory. Um, and we'll have to kind of uh, pepper them with, with questions uh, after the game and after they get back and, and how they think that went. Um, but uh, they think that they're going to have the advantage in freshness because they're going to be acclimated to uh, to that 7,000-foot elevation. So um, I think it'll be nip and tuck, and then the 49ers pull it out at the end. I'm going to I'm going to say um, I'm going to say 27, 24, 49ers. All right. So Cardinals covering, but the 49ers getting that win in Mexico City. I I think that we're going to see the 49ers hit that magic 30 point mark. You know that this is one thing I was talking about on Twitter yesterday. Everybody's saying, "Oh my God, 49ers offense totally out of sync." This, that, this, that. Uh, they were, you know, two better executed red zone plays away from scoring 30 points. I thought Kyle Shanahan was actually right about that in his press conference. It, it, I think it was really clear. There were a couple issues with the 49ers right now. They are, at least against the Chargers, were not efficient enough on first and second down, but they more than made up for that issue with good third down conversion percentage. They need to be better on first and second down so they don't rely as heavily on third down because that might not be sustainable. But the bigger issue was... Uh, the red zone, and they scored two touchdowns and five tries. They've got to be better. But again, one of the missed opportunities was a drop by their most reliable wide receiver in Brandon Ayuk. So I think that's probably a fluke. I think they get a play like that moving forward. And then Kyle Shanahan decided to play a conservative at the end of the game and kick the field goal. I do think that's one of Kyle's weaknesses. I do think he needs to be a little bit better about when he keeps the foot on the gas near the goal line. Either way, though, my point is the 49ers offense was awfully close to dropping 30 on a decent Chargers defense last week. And they have so many weapons and they're playing so efficiently in between the tens that I think this is the week that they crack 30 again, just like they did against the Rams the week before. Arizona doesn't have a great defense as we talked about. So for me, I'm going to see the 49ers score 34. Um, and I think the Cardinals will be a little bit of a thorn in their sides at altitude. They're going to score 21, 34-21. Uh, the 49ers defense going to give up a little bit more than they have the past two weeks, but they're still going to win this game comfortably. Yeah, and then we're going to have to talk about what the altitude does to the team that plays on Monday night <laughs> the following week. That'll be next week's story. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the 49ers are, uh, are going all out for this win in terms of uh, you know monetary expenditure, so it, it would be a big, big disappointment if they dropped it. Yeah, the owner has written a blank check to the sports performance. He has. Staff. <laughs> All right, cool. So I'll be in Mexico City. Well, we'll switch places. What? what right now, you're handling the road duties. I'll handle the road duties here in a few days. So have fun out there in Colorado Springs, Matt, and we'll talk after the game in Mexico City. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. This has been the Here's the Catch podcast. We'll talk to you next time.